Howdy, kids, and welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave. It is the Toddzilla X-Pod. I am your friendly and congenial host, Todd. Hello there. Thank you for clicking in. Got another uh, reload for you. Coming up today, I hope you like these because I'm probably going to have at least one, maybe two more this week before I start getting back to the material, the new material, the fresh material <laughs> uh, next week. Here's the deal. I've been talking about this stacks and stacks of stuff. You always hear me talking about it. I've been talking about it for two, three years as it continues to accumulate on this desk and in other places around my, 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 my apartment. I finally posted a picture of it all uh, last night. I also mentioned that uh, since I've only done three episodes before resuming this here earlier this month, uh, in the last year and a half, uh, I've kind of lost uh, my flow a little bit along with most of my listeners. Uh, but I've had to rebuild some things. I wanted to rebuild the the entire infrastructure of this podcast. I've added some things since uh, since last year. Starting last year, I guess I should say, with the YouTube videos, that's become sort of a more central thing. So I've had to kind of, I've had to get a method. I've had to figure out how to do this. I've had to come up with, uh, figure out what the hell I'm doing. So I've been doing that as I've been trying to create and, and put out more podcasts. I want to be more regular. I want to be more consistent with these things. I don't want to just go weeks without doing them anymore. I, I don't want to do that, and there's no reason for me to do that with 110 episodes behind me in the rearview mirror going back three years with a brand new listener base. There's no point in that. I'm going to keep going back, and I'm going to grab some of these older episodes, some of the better episodes that have uh, consistent themes. Episodes that stick out in my head that I think are going to be useful going forward for people who have not listened to this show before. And again, as I've said in the last uh, two of these uh, flashback episodes, that don't want to go back and listen to 110 episodes. Right? And that's also going to give me a little bit of time to start digging through that crap over here. <laughs> and, and figure out what I'm going to do with it. I am not a researcher. I have never written a book. I've got enough over here, though, I swear to God, to write a book. If I were a writer, I'd consider it. I am not a writer. But I've got to figure out how to start putting it together, how to organize it. I think that uh, listening to the episode that I've edited down for you and I'm going to play for you today, I think I know where I'm going to... Uh, uh, one of the things that I think I'm going to do with a new material... Uh, is going to be touched on in here, and it's the propaganda and democracy stuff from Jacques Ellul, from his book, uh, Propaganda. You hear a lot about that. It's the central theme of this uh, back in 2019. I think I might dig that out and finally do it. Yeah, it is. I, I said it in here. This is, 20, this is from uh, September of 2019. It's disturbing. Propaganda and democracy? Oh, and, and I'm going to tell you, this episode is perfect. It's a perfect primer for that because this episode gets into the need for propaganda and where that comes from, psychologically where that comes from. I've already hinted at it. If you missed that, there's a YouTube video you might want to go look at on my page at Tonzilla X. I didn't release this as part of the podcast. There are a couple of them up there, actually. The last three uh, videos that I posted up there. Go check those out. Tonzilla X at YouTube. Also check out the Substack site, uh, Tonzilla X, escapingthecave.com. So yes, please go do all of that stuff. Thank you very much. Now, this episode is from September of 2019. I want to look this up. I want to get the date right in case you want to go back and, and uh, listen to the entire episode. This was the first episode that I recorded after that episode that I said was pulled from YouTube. 
I talked about getting back to the Jacques Ellul material, the propaganda material. I thought this was going to be one episode that I went off track and I thought I was going to get right back to it. I never got back to doing what I was doing, but some of these episodes in September of 2019 are some of my best. This one included, and the one that I'm going to do uh, later on this week on internal narratives. These are really, I'm proud of these. This one is uh, called uh, Iceberg Ahoy. As I'm talking about, I'm using the Titanic as a metaphor for the United States, for our society, and how we're, you know, steaming toward this iceberg. With clear vision, we see it coming, but we're too busy fighting amongst ourselves to steer the ship and avoid it. The secondary titles are Validation Junkies, talking about dopamine and the psychological connection to validation and how that factors into social media, the like buttons, propaganda, ideology. And then finally, I get into talking about the chosen ones, how everybody seems to think that their group, their, their special little group, has the answer and the solution to everything. The chosen ones. There's a very nifty little personal anecdote in there about how I used to fall into that category. You know, talking about 2012 as well. A lot of people thought they were the chosen ones right about then, didn't they? Once again, Iceberg Ahoy, Validation Junkies and the Chosen One. It's the original episode from uh, September 10th, I think. 2019. I think I have that written. Yeah, September 10th, 2019. Go back and listen to it if you like, or thanks for clicking in. And uh, we were talking about narratives, Matt and I. He's been reading a book on 4chan, 8chan, and he's convinced that he has a pretty good idea where a lot of these conspiracies are coming from and how these are basically trolls. Just basically putting out fake information, just complete fiction, and how people are snatching it up. He was talking about QAnon. I don't know a lot about QAnon, so I went and Googled him when he started talking about these guys, and I realized that these QAnon people, when they're talking about how these elites basically are organized and are preying on young children, I realized that I had heard that before. And that was from my old conspiracy theory uh, radio host, a guy I worked with in Denver back in 2006. That was one of the big things that he was a part of. He really believed that. He was investigating it. He was talking about it on his show all the time, how these elites are part of a big pedophile ring, an organized pedophile ring. They have ceremonies where they go and they like pray to Satan. Literally, I think he said this. They, they would go and pray to Satan and then have sex with children. This is stuff that he was talking about in 2006. And when I went and researched this stuff, which basically means a, a Wikipedia search because I wasn't going to get too involved in that, I realized that I'd heard this stuff before. This stuff isn't original. The stuff from, coming from QAnon. The, whoever put this stuff together, whoever sort of injected this into the 4chan, 8chan ecosystem, it just basically lifted it from shit that had been out there in the conspiracy realm for, for years. And people found it, and they believed it, and they started perpetuating it. Same thing with Pizzagate. It's the same damn idea. Basically a trolling exercise to get people riled up and see if they could sell people on bullshit. And by God, they did. And whole, lo and behold, according, according to Matt, they didn't really want this stuff to go mainstream. They were just fucking around, but people took it mainstream, and all of a sudden it's a thing, and you got people holding cue signs up at Donald Trump rallies. And what this boils down to is some stuff that I have been talking about quite a bit, 
And that's wanting to believe something. Can I believe this? Do I choose? Do I choose to allow myself to believe this? Because I want to believe this. Can I believe this? I think I shall. Wanting to believe the narrative. And this is the allure of disinformation and propaganda. I honestly believe it. I've said this before. I hate to be repetitive, but I honestly thought that eventually I would see how these evil uh, propagandists were victimizing the people. At least a little bit. At least a little bit. That is not the case. They're exploiting it, sure. But this isn't a victim-perpetrator scenario here. This is more of a Walter White junkie relationship. More than it is a matter of exploiting the poor, unsuspecting, and innocent public. You're not unsuspecting. You're not innocent here either. You want this stuff. You need this stuff. I'll be outlining more. Even more than I already have, I'll be outlining how. I will be laying the case. I will be putting the case forth to you, the listening public. The loyal Tonzillophile will be getting a dissertation on why I believe this is true. And not just me. Yeah, just me. Oh, no. And I think you're going to be able to see if you have any kind of clear vision, any ability to clearly see anything outside of yourself. But more importantly, if you allow yourself to be clearly introspective, good fucking luck with that. But if you do, if you're one of the few people who can even attempt that, you're going to be able to see how this is true. We are not blameless. We are not poor little innocent victims. Being brutalized by the propagandists. That is not the case, my friends. It is not the case. Sure, they're exploiting it, but you want to be exploited. Is Walter White really the problem, or is it the junkie that gets hooked on his product? Who's to blame here? Maybe a little bit of both, huh? Maybe. But Matt put it this way. If you want the story, you'll watch the movie. And that is a really good way to put this. I would actually say if you demand the story, you'll watch it. Do we demand to have our preferential worldview, our schema? Do we demand to have that reinforced? And will we go find it wherever, wherever it's provided? And if we do, like Walter White, is it possible, do you think, to monetize that. Do you think it's possible not only to exploit it politically and for power purposes, but to monetize it and laugh all the way to the bank? Or in Walter White's realm, when you go bury your barrel in the desert. A lot of what I've been talking about falls right there. We want it. And in some ways, we can't do without it. And things are getting worse now with the advent of this technology that we are wholly and 1,000% unprepared for with this deluge of data, disconnected data, misinformation, disinformation, propaganda, spin, lies, fictions. We are deluged with information that we can possibly cut through. So we default to the narrative. We default to the myth. Whatever it is we choose to cling on to to explain this incredibly, ridiculously confusing world made even more so by this deluge and choking on data. This isn't going to get any better. This is not going to get any better at all. It's just going to get worse the more, the more people understand how to manipulate human nature. More on human nature coming in this episode. Stay the fuck tuned for that.
But the more people figure out how to exploit it, and the more people, the more people deny that it exists, human nature, this sort of backdoor, this Trojan horse access to your mind, the more people reject that it's even there. And the more people understand how to exploit that, it's only going to get worse. This is the tip of the fucking iceberg. There's no doubt about that. I'm sorry. If you want your, your sausage party, no, go, 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 go elsewhere. There's a really good part of this book that I found this week. I've been reading a lot of it, trying to pull it all together, reading, reading some of it for the second, third, and fourth times. But he makes a very good point. He, he was dealing with this sort of, people were accusing him of being a nihilist, even back then. And he says one of the most important things you can do at a time of crisis is honesty. You don't bullshit people when you're in a time of crisis. You don't lie to them. You have to point out weaknesses. You have to point out holes in the wall back in the medieval times. Hey, that one over there, there's a hole in the wall. The Huns are coming. You might want to patch it up. And the equivalent of this today, when you start talking to people about the, 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 the propaganda and, and, and human nature, these, these blank slatists that deny it even fucking exists, basically that's the equivalent of saying, I can't see it. I'm going to cover my eyes and not look at the hole in the wall. And then it's not there and the Huns won't come. That is what we're dealing with. I, I'm not going to sit here and give you false hope. I'm not going to do that. And don't trust anybody who does. I don't care if you're listening to me or not. Never listen to another word I say. But when you leave, don't go trusting people who just blow that smoke up your butthole. They're lying to you. They're exploiting you. They're exploiting that need for hope. They're exploiting that need and that desire for you to take your head and shove it in the sand because you do not want to look at the situation we are in. And if you do then it's not their fault, right? It's not their fault for exploiting that. It's yours for letting them. It's yours for not having any sort of willing tether to reality. <sighs> Look, I miss happy endings, man. I, I keep looking and looking. I have done this. I've done this in the last couple of weeks. I've done it in the last couple of months. In the last year, two years, I've been doing this repeatedly. Like, okay, Oh, am I being just cynical? Am I just being a nihilist? Am I being a fatal? Okay, let me, okay, I'm going to try to count. I'm going to try to see the bright side. It'll work for an hour. Okay, well, maybe the technology will develop. Maybe the technology will evolve. Maybe we'll just learn how to use all this stuff and we'll just be thinking kumbaya by 2030. Now, it always comes back to the same thing. It always comes back to the same thing. I'm always reminded we're on the fucking Titanic. But the problem is, that doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work on most people. Maybe it works on you if you're still listening, but most people, no. They hear this stuff, oh my God, I don't want to hear that. I want the easy thing. I want the thing that's going to make me feel good. I want, to, I want the thing that's going to give me hope and just let me do my life and make sure oh, everything's going to be okay. It's the psychology of a kid. It's the psychology of children. You've got to tell them that the fairy tale has a happy ending, that the big bad wolf isn't going to come and eat them. The public at large, they're not that much different than children because they will stick their fingers in their ears and they'll, I don't want to hear that. No. 
Tell me I am wrong. If you want to tell people the truth, you better make them laugh or else they're going to kill. It's the same idea. You got to give people hope. You've got to give them that. You got to give it's it. And what if there isn't any? What if there isn't any beyond telling the people to hold up a fucking mirror in front of their face and look at themselves, look at what they're doing, look at how they behave, look at what they seek out. If that's the only cure and they refuse to look, what do you got? You've got a diluted species of lemmings barreling toward a cliff. We are on the Titanic. The difference is the Titanic hit that iceberg in the middle of the night. It's broad daylight in this metaphor. We've got 20-mile visibility. Clear as day where this is headed. We see the iceberg. We see it every fucking day. We saw it throughout throughout the 2016 election. We're going to see it next year the same way. Even worse, because it's had four years to evolve. And we're going to stand on the deck of the Titanic, looking at this iceberg, steaming straight forward while we sit there and blame the people on the other side of the boat. And while they blame us. The captain's got to come down and moderate the mob on the deck. He can't steer the ship away from the iceberg. I don't know who the captain is. This metaphor just sort of running with it, but that's, that's exactly what's going to happen. We're going to sit here and argue and blame and point fingers and throw snowballs at each other while that iceberg in front of us gets closer, 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 closer and until we hit it. What people don't realize in their fanatical idealism and puritanism is that it's going to plunge each and every one of us into the North Atlantic Ocean. There are no lifeboats big enough to get us to shore. The Carpathia isn't coming in this case. The Carpathia is on the other side of the Atlantic. It can't get there. And who's to say it would? Who's to say it would come and rescue this crop of puritanical fanatics? Maybe the people on the Carpathia, maybe the captain of the Carpathia, I forget his name at this point, got a big medal, professional medal honor or something like that for saving all those people. He wouldn't even, like, you know what, fuck that. I want to deal with these people. Let them sink. I refuse to lie to you to make you feel good. I refuse to lie to you to just keep you listening. I'm not getting any fucking money for this anyway. Maybe, I guess, if I were selling advertising, I would have to concoct some fiction. Some fiction of Sausage Party hope. I'm not doing that, thank God. So therefore, I don't have to lie to you. This show is the same every single time, regardless of whether you download it or don't. I am not going to inseminate you with false hope. If I see it, I'll sure as hell tell you. In fact, I found some people, actually, this week, I'll get to this in a little bit. I found some people this week who have found, I think, Pollyannic hope. These guys are are technophiles. Some people like to consider me a technophobe. I'm not. But these guys, they love technology. They absolutely adore it. Some of these folks worked for Facebook. They saw what it was doing, and they decided that they had to start raising alarms. This is actually kind of encouraging. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, this media multiplex, I think YouTube's getting in on this as well. They're, they're starting to tinker around with getting rid of the like button. I mean, that's the entire foundation of Facebook and especially Instagram. The dopamine hit, the dopamine addiction, how this, the, these platforms grab you to exploit your need for social validation. And over the past few years, I have done a few podcasts uh, on dopamine addiction. 
using myself primarily as an example, including uh, Cyberspace Monkeys and the Demon Podcasts from last year. Uh, you can also check out the Convulsive Twitch episode that I did a couple of months back. That one's new. That's about dopamine addiction and some other things. I've, I've kind of concluded that the, this Convulsive Twitch that I keep referring to, this conditioned response, this conditioned reflex that I have dubbed the Convulsive Twitch, I think it's tied to dopamine. I think it's tied associatively to getting a dopamine hit from some sort of about a decade's worth of being socially validated via Facebook by my friends, my echo chamber, my tribe. I think that's a lot of what this is. I'm trying to get a handle on it. But of course, Facebook. Now, when they're talking about tinkering with the like system, they're saying, well, it's because we're concerned about our users' well-being. That's complete and utter horseshit. And somewhere inside a Zuckerbeast cave, I think that based on a lot of the things that I've seen from different people, they're starting to realize, I think, an impending public relations nightmare. When the public realizes they've been knowingly pushing cyber meth on an unsuspecting public, they understand the addictive nature of social media. They understand how addictive dopamine really is. To have a conditioned reflex tied to dopamine, which is the foundation, the utter foundation of Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all of these social media sites that depend on some kind of social validation. One of the primary human needs to be socially validated. Did you, did you know that a few hundred years ago, back when we had these smaller bands, these smaller communities, you know, the, the, you grew up and you were raised with the same people back then, at least outside of capital punishment. The second worst thing you could do to somebody was to ostracize them. This is also tied to solitary confinement in prison. You need to feel part of something. You need to feel validated. You need to be part of a group. We are social critters, right? And that social validation thing in the virtual world is tied to being praised with likes. Do you really think they're dumb? Do you really think that they don't understand this? They have algorithms. They know how to trigger you. They know how to get you to click on things. They know how to gauge based on your likes and how you engage in other things. They know exactly how to craft what it is you'll click on if they put it in your newsfeed. The algorithm is psychological manipulation. They understand this. They are not stupid. This is Facebook. This is Google, for fuck's sakes. They have got more information and more data on you than they know what to do with. They've been gathering it for a decade and longer with Google. They know exactly what they're doing. You can't believe they're stupid, right? You can't. Do you really think that they are oblivious, just ignorant, to the addictive nature of their ad and click-based platforms? Honestly, Again, I'll go back to Walter White. It's like Walter claiming he thought his product was a nasal decongestant. Well, it's just a pretty blue. I thought they liked the blue. You have got to be cynical here. You have to be cynical. It's going to serve you well in a case like this. It's already starting to come out. People are leaving Facebook. They're leaving Google. They're leaving these tech companies. And they're talking about how these things were crafted to be addictive. How the pretty little colors use the same psychological principles as slot machines and casinos. To jack with your head. To drag you in. 
This is going to come out at some point. I think I think it's going to come out. I think it's going to be exposed, hopefully to the fullest degree that it happened. I pray to God there's a backlash, but I'm not optimistic because the same thing happened with cigarettes. The same thing happened with Philip Morris and tobacco companies. People understood they're putting this addictive shit in there. It doesn't matter. The addiction's taken hold. You don't care how it got there. You just need to feed it. I pray to God I'm wrong on that. I pray to God that there is some huge, massive backlash to this. Now, regardless of the cynicism and all that, this is a big deal. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, tinkering with the like system. They're talking about getting rid of it. I've heard rumors and seen rumblings about Twitter thinking about getting rid of their follower list, their status number. That is a big deal. But social media addiction, they start messing with this. You've got you've to remember it is a dopamine addiction. And a dopamine addiction is a drug addiction. Even if your own body produces it, it doesn't matter. It's a drug addiction. It's a powerful one. It's a very real thing. And one that many, I dare say most, have no idea exists, let alone that they suffer from it. I've talked about this, struggled with it for five years since I, since I became aware of it. I struggled with it for longer than that. I didn't even know what the hell it was. I didn't even know it was there. But five years since becoming aware of it, and I still haven't kicked it. Working on it, but I haven't. In fact, this likely goes back for me, personally. Probably goes back about 23 years. This is a bigger problem. This is a bigger thing than just social media. But social media has learned how to exploit it. Again, you should go listen to the Demon Podcast if you want the entire story on this. Uh, but performers, in particular, are well aware of a dopamine rush. Even if they don't know what it is, they get on stage. I've heard comedians talk about this. I've heard all sorts of people talk about it. Stage performers, actors, all of them. They get on stage and they get a reaction. They get validation from the audience. That's the dopamine. It becomes addicting. You cannot do without it. The problem is, is that the tolerance level rises. You need more. You need more and more. And more. You always need more. And some performers, there was talk about Robin Williams. That's how what inspired the Demon Podcast was Robin Williams' suicide in 2014. Some performers, not saying Robin Williams did, did this exclusively because of this, but some performers do kill themselves when they can no longer satisfy it. That is the demon. This is the realm that many are in on social media. And I, 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 I warn you, if they start messing around with this like button and the social validation addiction they've created, don't underestimate how powerful this is. And after all the propaganda stuff that I've done, I strongly suspect that dopamine is tied to the visceral response that people get from propaganda. The illusion of performative action. Therefore, the uh, for-profit outrage, agitation, propaganda, industrial complex, among some other things. And this may be why Typhoid Mark and Typhoid Jack are starting to talk about covering their asses under the guise of our users' well-being. Bullshit. And giving the unsuspecting social media world, <laughs> you give them an, even a controlled dose of metaphorical chantix, Cutting off the dopamine supply, cutting off the dopamine trigger, it's going to have real psychological effects on more than just a couple of people. Depression is one of those. 
Another being an intense urge to find other avenues to replace what's been lost. You're going to go looking for the drug somewhere. You're going to find it somewhere. A drunken sense of egocentric meaning and self-importance. Oh, joy. Where could that lead? And yeah, it's not just uh, limited to uh, social media either. Well, I've been uh, thumbing through Steven Pinker's old book, The Blank Slate. One of the things that I did see in this book was a description of what he calls utopian and tragic visions. I'm not sure if that's his original idea, if he's named those things and sort of alluded on them or not. I don't know if they're a Pinker original, but the utopian vision, how he describes it, the sort of the Star Trek future of humanity. How we are the preeminent species in all the universe, destined for great things, destined to become God. That's the utopian vision. That was what I was railing against. Maybe last month when I had ranted against uh, about humanism. And this is one of those things that, uh, to use Jacques Ellul's phraseology, has entered the realm of the sacred. The realm of the sacred. It doesn't matter if it's true. It's a belief. It's a religion. And it can't be challenged. This notion of the utopian future of humanity. That's what I sort of conflated with this idea of humanism. Still do. The flip side of that is what he called the tragic vision that human beings are flawed. And we have got to work on ourselves that we are completely defective in so many ways. And that if we are not careful, we will tear ourselves and everything else to shreds. It's the idea that humanity is closer to cancer than God. Clearly, I fall on the side of the tragic vision. I think we could potentially, in a perfect world, achieve the utopian vision. But we've got to evolve first significantly and i've said multiple times on this show that the next spurt of evolution is not going to be another thumb i'm going to be a third eyeball on our forehead no it's going to be self-awareness understanding who and what we really are and working on that sort of a collective species-wide therapy course self-fucking-improvement tethering ourselves to reality Rather than letting Heights Elephant run rampage wild through the woods, crushing all the little furry woodland creatures in the process. Human evolution has not ended. Physically, perhaps. But as far as knowing who and what we are, self-awareness, we're not even close. We are barely out of the jungle. We are out of the jungle with new toys. And a clever language and the ability to rationalize and justify anything we want because we're clever. There's a big difference between smart and clever, kids. Big, huge difference between smart and clever. We're clever. We're not that smart. But we think we're smart. When stupid people think they're smart, they do stupid things. Collectively, we're dumb as a box of rocks. We can't see our own nose on our face. And in this way, I diverge from Jacques Ellul. He states openly in this book, Propaganda, that I've been focusing on, uh, that at least at the time he wrote it, I don't know where he was when he died, but he still believed in the preeminence of mankind. His words, the preeminence of mankind, the, the ultimate superiority of the human species, he believed in it. He believed in human beings. 
And he wrote this despite authoring a book that turned out to be a treatise supporting what I understand to be Pinker's tragic vision of man. Pointing out the inherent and obvious flaws, manipulatable flaws in human beings. The hole in the psychic firewall, allowing Trojan horses to run free to spread their viruses inside of the human mind's computer. If you like that metaphor, a lot of people do. It's a good one. Is this sausage party hope on the part of Mr. Alul, or was this an effort to keep his readers from nihilism? Maybe he was full of shit. Maybe he just put that in there. I can understand why. I don't know. I do know that I disagree with him on this point and will continue to do so until I see some, some clear indication that I am wrong. You're going to hear me repeat this. I'm trying real hard, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to see hope here. Any indication that the species is becoming, if not enlightened, at least aware of its own shortcomings. <sighs> I talked about this in the, in the first, uh, first or second segment today. It's a, it's, a, it's a part that he has in the propaganda and democracy section of this book. Toward the end, I may be doing this tomorrow for September 11th. I haven't decided yet, but he talks about being able to see things, being honest with ourselves and with other people in times of turmoil. Being able to see our own shortcomings and deal with them directly rather than deluding ourselves, sticking our head in the proverbial sand and telling ourselves that we are the evolution. We are the inevitable God of the universe. No, we're not. Sorry, Mr. Alul, I disagree with you on that point. And again, I've said this earlier each week, each single week, despite looking for this, despite searching for it so hard, trying to prove myself, prove to myself that my cynicism is misplaced. It's just cynicism. It's just lazy, nihilistic thinking, crutching on the negative. Every single time I do that, every single time I go out there and say, okay, I'm going to try to look at the bright side. I don't see it. I do not see it anywhere. You need to point this out to me if you do. And you need to point it out in a way that's not self-deluded, that's not concocting shoulds or maybes or imaginary scenarios of where we could be going. I want to see your fucking work. I cannot find it for the life of me. I always end up right back where I've been from the beginning of this podcast's resurrection and beyond. Winter is here. It's the people. We are responsible for this, and until we fix us, it ain't going to get any better. It might get a whole lot worse. We may not end up surviving it, or we may end up surviving it little tiny bands like we were a 1,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago. The superstructure of a society may break down and disintegrate as we recongregate back in our little communities of 150 people where we probably belong, at least in this firmware version of humanity. That's the obvious course of things. As I look down the road, as I, as I use my imaginary abstract third eye, and I look down the road, that's exactly what I see. And I cannot see any exit ramps off this road. I need someone to point these things out to me, and they need to be done factually. Without happy thoughts, without religious thinking, I'll reject it. 
Somebody needs to be able to show me this. It's the people. Winter is here. I've been saying this for over a year. We have met the enemy. He is us. An old cartoon. The enemy isn't them. He's not the propagandist. He's not the power structure. Not the man keeping you down. It's us. It's us. It's this fucking mind. This addiction to ego. Putting ourselves at the center of the world or in a position of victimization. Everything is victimizing me. I am not responsible for my life. I'm a victim. I'm entitled now. If you're thinking clearly, if you're freed from the delusion of Sausage Party Hope, the need for a happy ending, the need to concoct in your own mind a happy ending, if you're freed from that, yet you still see that path forward, I want to hear about it desperately. Tell me your story. Give me the narrative. I want to hear it. If you're one of those folks that think that human nature is horseshit, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast for one thing, (laughs) but if you're lost... I want you to think about this. It's just possible that uh, thinking your particular tribe, therefore by disguised projection, you, my tribe, me, your tribe, you, by thinking that your particular tribe, therefore by disguised projection, you are the enlightened, therefore chosen ones. That could be the single most destructive thing to social cohesion we're dealing with right now. I want you to think about how universal that trait really is. Everybody thinks that their group, and by extension they, are the chosen ones. I've been dealing with this for 10 years. I'm 15 years, man. Chris and I used to talk, Friar Chris and I used to talk about 2012, long before the date came. We were speculating about it. This was back at the height of our religion. The universe was protecting us. The universe was our buddy and our pal. It had chosen us. It had enlightened us. It had made us aware of all these things. And we would talk about 2012. We would talk about the impending apocalypse. And I used to like to talk about it. I can show you the writing. I still kept it. It's still up. I can talk about how I thought that, oh, the world was just going to rebalance itself. Maybe that the Mayans were right. That the world was going to rebalance and cleanse itself in 2012. Maybe it wasn't a Mayan prophecy. Maybe it was a parable. Oh, maybe about climate change or imbalance or capitalism, consumerism. Well, in 2012, maybe the world will just rebalance itself. It'll scrape the virus clean, and there's going to need to be somebody there to rebuild it, to lead the tribe forth. And gosh, we're the enlightened ones. It'll be us. We'll have a little compound. We talked about having a compound down in Peru or south in the Andes. I remember talking about having it in Peru. This was in 2009. (laughs) Huh. Interesting, isn't it? Well, 2012 came and went. I was down in Palenque, Palenque, Mexico, not too far from the ruins. And I remember a lot of people there were like, okay, here it comes. Oh, yes, apocalypse. That means means we're going to lead forth the survivors. (laughs) And in the sense, nobody would say anything about it. Nobody would actually admit it the next day. But everybody woke up after the earth was supposed to be dead and is like, oh, shit. Oh, well, I guess I'm not going to be leading forth the surviving tribe from Palenque. Nobody said it. Nobody said it. But you, you, if, you, if you were aware and you were sort of observant, you could kind of get a vibe and a sense for things. The euphoria the night before, the anticipation of the end, being elevated upon your throne as the chosen tribe. That euphoria was gone the next morning. And then, then, then well, it's yes, maybe it's a... 
Maybe it's an awakening of awareness. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's just a just rational justifying. Not being able to tell themselves, not having to tell themselves they were wrong. <laughs> they had made a mistake that they had put themselves at the center of their own bullshit story. And the story was proven to be bullshit this morning. They couldn't do that. No, they just had to start directing it. You see this with apocalypse, these apocalyptic uh, predictions. You see it every time. There's going to be a comet and the earth's going to end. It's been ordained by God. God has spoken to me. And January 14th rolls around. Earth's still here. No comets hit. Well, you know, I didn't mean it literally. I just meant that. Shut the fuck up. (sighs) You are not the chosen one, jackass. You are not the chosen one. There are no chosen ones. It's us. It's just people. People do what people do. And that's what I think this is. That's what I think this whole, this whole notion of abandoning human nature, I think it has to do with that. And, and these, these people, these blank slatists, and, and this shit is, is so pervasive that even the blank slatists who deny human nature put themselves in that category. They, they exhibit this trait. We understand that there is no human nature. We're the chosen ones. We're the enlightened ones. How do you not see it? And beyond that, this sort of uh, we're the chosen ones stuff is encoded into every fucking religion, cult, conspiracy theory, and political ideology. Everybody wants to put themselves in the position of being the chosen enlightened ones. Everybody. Doesn't matter. (laughs) You could have Forrest Gump. You could have a cult of lobotomized gumps. And they would think that they are the chosen ones. Create your own scenario at will here. It would happen. You put these people in a group, you isolate them off, you let them talk to each other, reinforce each other, encourage and perpetuate the delusions, the bullshit rationalizations, elephantitis, if you will. And eventually they're going to convince themselves that they are God's chosen people. God being a metaphor or literal, however you want to see it. They will eventually do that. It's encoded in the human DNA. It's our infantile ego concocting a shared, shared egocentric mythological narrative. It's a cul-de-sac inside our own little personal matrix. The narrative. The internal dialogue, the internal narrative, the internal construct explaining the world with us at the middle of it. And us meaning you, meaning the individual, by extension via the group. Propaganda and disinformation feasts upon this. Utopian tragic vision? (laughs) If there's any question, I would highly encourage you to buy stock in the tragic variety. You're going to thank me later. I mentioned a little while ago that that I think that all roads sort of lead back to the same point. You know, it's the people. Winter is here kind of thing. But it leads to another point as well. And that is the data overload and drowning ourselves in uh, disconnected information. Detaching from this constant deluge of data, information, propaganda, and disinformation. Data disguised as culture and politics. Streaming through the internet, cable, and cellular connections. Confusing and confounding this very limited human mind. Of course you're not going to see very many people talk about it because it's it's probably their meal ticket. Why would CNN tell you to shut off CNN? Why would Facebook tell you to deactivate from Facebook? Why would any of these people tell you that in order to see the world more clearly, in order to be able to differentiate and decipher 
Truth from bullshit. You need to shut them off. Bad business, right? I've not seen that discussed. I've not seen that discussed very much anywhere outside of people like Nicholas Carr, Dr. Eli, and a few others. But nobody who's really made, nobody who's really, really well known. Marshall McLuhan talked about this. He was well known back in the 60s. He's a classic author. He authored uh, the media ecology field of study. He was the founding father of that in the 1960s, and this is one of his premises. The, the data overload premise has been around for a long, long time, hundreds if not thousands of years. With the advent of new technology comes more data, more instantaneous access to information, more than your mind can process. You get confused when you get confused, when we get confused. We run home to mama. We look for anything simple, anything less confusing that will offer answers. To alleviate the cognitive dissonance, the confusion, the ambiguity, anything that lets us forget how confused we really are. And the real solution may be to try engaging in the organic world, the real flesh and blood world where you can touch people. You can tell if they have halitosis or not. You can look them in the eye. You can read their body language. You can interact as a human being. How we evolve to interact Interact more organically with real data, real information, real interpersonal relationships. As opposed to getting your entire world, the entire impression of the world delivered via electronic eyes. Electronic eyes that are 99% out of 100 trying to sell you something, be it a product, be it an agenda, something. Filling your head with bullshit from all directions at a pace Heretofore not seen, it's exponentially worse than it was even 15, 20 years ago. I, I think back to when I was a kid, oh, when I was a young and I know, I know. But I think back to this. We just had our class reunion over the weekend. I didn't go. But I got to thinking about this, like how different things were. I didn't even have a telephone. We grew up dirt poor. But I had one TV channel. I had to enter. I had to use my imagination. I had to get out in the world or drive myself nuts with boredom because I didn't have anything to distract me at that point in time. I had to go look people in the face if I wanted to talk to them. That is not the case now. There is so much more information, so much more data lambasting us from every single direction. We cannot keep this straight. We don't know what to believe most of the time. We cling to anything that will explain the world in the way we want to see it. And because these data and informational seas are so turbulent and will drown us as soon as we jump into them without the life raft or the, the, the life vest of doctrine or ideology or religion, we won't leave that boat. We cling to it because there's too much out there. The trick, I think, is going to be, and moving forward, is to be, be able to disconnect from that. Again, I go back to what I was saying earlier. Where is the indication that anybody wants to do that? We don't turn progress back. Are you kidding me? That's one of the myths of Western culture, is the myth of progress. The religion of progress. Technological progress. Technology makes everything better. That's one of the founding myths of capitalism. It's one of the main pillars of Western culture. We're not going to turn that back. This isn't going to happen. 
So again, I'm asking you to show your work. <laughs> I came to the conclusion, I think, maybe a week, two weeks ago, that the 20th century had its defining moments, had its defining battles, its defining wars, right? World War I, World War II, the battle of the Cold War against you know capitalism versus communism. I don't know that we've ever really had what this century is going to be. I don't know that it's ever made itself apparent what the theme of the 21st century is going to be. A lot of people want to point to 9-11. They want to point to the war on terrorism. I don't think that's it. I think the existential battle for survival in the 21st century is going to be informational. To be able to, to decipher truth from falsehood. As the technology continues to advance, as we get inundated with more and more and more data and information, the battle of the 21st century is going to be able to stay tethered to reality. To stay organic. I'm not optimistic that we're going to be able to do that. And to go back to Walter Lippmann, I talked about this a number of times the last couple of months. Walter Lippmann says the, uh, the culture of the society that has lost the ability to distinguish truth from falsehood does not remain free. If you can't tell the truth from bullshit, somebody's going to control you. Eventually. You know, be it through enforcing peace in times of you know, internal strife, internal conflict, two fictions fighting each other, somebody has to come in and enforce peace. That's tyranny. Like it or not, that is tyranny. Or convincing you of things like blank slatism. It's <laughs> so much more. That's from uh, September 10th of 2019. Iceberg Ahoy, Validation Junkies, and uh, The Chosen Ones. Let me know what you think of these. Hope you're liking them. They're helping me a little bit. They're helping me get back and kind of remember what it was I was doing, the flow that I had, where my topics were. <laughs> How my voice sounded. I think it's gotten weak in the last couple of years. <laughs> Hopefully that new material will start kicking back in here in the next uh, week or so. We'll see. Escapingthecave.com, that is the uh, website. Tonzillax.com is my old uh, travel website. Check out the YouTube channel. Got some exclusive stuff up there. Tonzilla X at YouTube. Also, Tonzilla X over at Substack. I'm pretty much Tonzilla X everywhere. Got the Facebook page out there, Escaping the Cave. And uh, at ETCPod on Twitter. I don't do too much on uh, the Twitter other than post stuff. So, yeah. I have an Instagram thing out there, too. Which one's that? At Tonzilla X? I think so. Wow, I almost forgot I had an Instagram account. Uh. My relationship with social media, tenuous at best. All right. Thanks for clicking in. We'll talk to you next time. So long.